Hi, I'm Professor Yvonne Kafik, founder of Board Checkup, an organization dedicated to helping boards of directors grow in leadership and governance effectiveness through the practice of performance assessment. Since 2010, over 700 boards from 80 countries have used our board effectiveness survey application to, to help surface and resolve board effectiveness challenges. As a natural experiment testing the efficacy of this intervention, we were not involved in choosing the boards who use the software, nor did we interact with them in any way during the study. In this performance case study series, I interview boards who use the application to self-assess their performance for the very first time. Using a guide, we explore what motivated them to want to assess performance, how they coordinated and implemented the process within their board and organization, what they found and discussed, the changes they made, the lessons learned, and advice they have for other boards considering the practice. On the title slide, you may have noticed a heart a symbol we included to show the case study series is more than just a description of a technical exercise, but rather a journey in performance that contains many of the elements of a literary love story, including passion for the mission, protagonists in the board chair, CEO and other leaders on the board or who interact with the board, the importance of timing and match and having the right people involved, as well as the strength in the relationships and the tremendous growth and development along the way as the board learns to work as a team collaboratively with management to advance the mission. At the end of each case, you will find reflective questions and a link to the application and other resources for board development. In closing, I hope you enjoy these stories as much as I did. Episode one, the case of the board of EIL Ireland. So let's start with introductions and, um, and that your organization and your roles in your organization. So we're EIL Intercultural Learning. Um, we're based in Ireland and we're a charitable organization. Um, we had got charitable status just in the last couple of years. Before that, we were a not-for-profit. Um, we work in the area of education and intercultural learning and making people global citizens, essentially. Um, that's our, our mission and our aim. Um, my name is Neve Hill and I'm the chair of the board. Um, this is my second year as chair. I got elected in January of 2020. So it was a real baptism of fire with COVID. Um, and I've been on the board for, this is my fifth year now on the board. Um, and then I'll pass over to Kevin to introduce himself. Yeah, I'm Kevin Hickey and I'm the CEO of EIL uh, Intercultural Learning here in Ireland. I've been in this role um, since um, about 1990, so quite a bit of experience and seen a lot of development of the organization over that period of time. 
worked with um, several different um, boards um, and the, the, the climate in which we're operating, I guess, has changed considerably over that period of time also. So it's been a journey and it's a journey that, um, that continues. Um, the organization in terms of, um, of gross revenues in 2019, it was about 5.4 million uh, US dollars. Um, with a staff team of 21 um, people and a series of different uh, people located in their local communities around the country that would, some of them volunteers, some of them um, paid, um, part-time paid staff. Um, we rely heavily on volunteers. Um, Ireland is a relatively small country, but we have a team of about 90 volunteers that are very actively involved in delivering our programs um, around the country. Um, we have about over 2,000 participants taking part in our programs every year. That would be primarily young people um, coming to Ireland, um, study programs, and Irish people going abroad and study and volunteer programs. We also operate a range of um, lifelong learning programs for Road Scholar based in, um, in Boston. Um, that's working with older um, retired people on study trips, study visits, educational um, programs in Ireland. So it's, it's a very broad, very wide kind of program range, um, very active organization. Obviously, um, things changed dramatically for us um, in 2020 with COVID-19, and that had a very big impact in our organization. And it really, I suppose, tested in so many ways our governance structures, our boards, um, that um, we were... Um, tested in, in a lot of ways. And um, interestingly, um, we had some independent um, um, people working with us recently um, in terms of developing our strategic planning. And uh, we were talking about this in terms of how we've come through COVID-19 and how, um, as an organization, the leadership of the organization, and particularly the board, has come out of it in a much stronger um, way. So sometimes it's when you're faced with challenges, they can actually strengthen you. Um, sometimes when things are always going perfectly well, it doesn't mean that you're, uh, everything is perfect. Um, sometimes you need to be tested to see how good you are. Wonderful. Well, that's um, really great to hear that you, you that COVID-19 um, has really strengthened your organization and really beefed up your leadership. I want to little talk about um, you know, your, you know, it wasn't just with COVID-19. Stepping back, looking back from 2016, your board decided to critically assess its own performance and use the checkup to do that. Maybe just talk a little bit about that time. What led, what led to that decision? Yeah, if I can jump in here, um, because I think in many ways, um, Neve is the result of that process. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, when I go back to 2016, the, um, the emerging um, situation in Ireland around nonprofits was one of much greater accountability. Um, at that stage, um, an organization called The Wheel um, in Ireland, which is a support organization for nonprofits, um, developed um, the governance code. And this was a voluntary um, code at that time, or the good governance code as it was. Um, and 
it was felt important um, that we would look at how we measured against that good governance code. And we got some external assistance um, and showed the areas where we were strong and where we were weak. Um, but it led us then to looking at what kind of tools there might be out there. And uh, um, initially we discovered um, um, boardcheckup.com in a Google search. And um, it seemed um, really interesting, really accessible. Um, it seemed safe um, area to dip your toe in the water beginning with in the sense that, um, you know, it was, it was somewhat out there in the sense that nobody was going to come and beat us up if we got it terribly wrong. So um, it was felt a safe space to, um, to enter. And I think that was, was quite important. Um, so um, it was the kind of emerging climate in Ireland that kind of brought us to boardcheckup.com. We, we did it and we found, oh, this is really interesting. Um, what was really interesting was um, it was anonymous. I think board members felt very comfortable and safe in that space. Um, it produced very accessible results um, uh, with the, um, I suppose, with the, the top 10 strengths, the top 10 challenges, um, a traffic light system that showed the areas where, you, you know, the, um, the green, obviously, okay, we're good here. The orange, well, you're not bad, but you need to work on it. And then the areas where you seriously need, needed to work on it. Also, um, there is that inbuilt bit about the divergence, um, mm -hmm. which was really, really useful because at that point, I think we maybe had 10 members on the board and you could see where, you know, maybe one board member stood out with a strong opinion. Um, so you could see that kind of divergence. Um, so it was very accessible, very usable from that point of view, easy results, easy to, um, to process. Um, but very clear, um, and it was seen as a very useful tool. Um, I suppose the first key learning from our point of view was that um, a key part of it was the actual individual board members themselves. How prepared were they? Um, how aware of their role and responsibilities were they? And um, I guess at that point, because we're a membership-based organization, um, our board was elected at an annual meeting of members. So it was in some sense, a bit of a popularity contest. And you had maybe a sense of people that were looking or thought, okay, this could look good on my CV. Um, but you found then as the year went on that maybe attendance at meetings wasn't as, as regular as it could be or should be or participation or contribution wasn't as good. Um, or as strong as it should be. So probably the first learning that came at that time was looking at who were the right people to be board members and um, what um, skill set did the board member need. So we began looking at that and maybe concentrated, concentrating um, much more strongly and um, the key people on the board at, at uh, that particular time saw that as important. So they began to see an important part of their role as looking um, ahead in terms of succession and in terms of trying to identify um, people that would have something to bring or to offer either in terms of their work life, their skills, their previous experience or whatever. And, and I suppose one of the first people that was headhunted, so to speak, um, 
was Niamh, who had been a previous member, a previous participant, but um, who had um, maybe moved out of our space, um, involved in several other things, building her own um, background as a lawyer. Um, so we began more and more reaching out. And um, so, um, and I think ultimately led to Niamh getting a call from the then chair of the board about um, um, standing for um, election to the board and there was no guarantee that she would have been elected and um, and I suppose then Neve again somewhat blindly I suppose became a member of the board and I'm going to let her take up the story from there in the sense of of how that then processed and developed over time. I but joined I think, the board then in 2017 so it was immediately after the the initial board checkup and governance um, code in 2016. Um, and it was quite a fast, I don't think I was aware of maybe being earmarked in this way or selected in this way. Um, it was lovely to be approached, but I think I was a regular board member for one year. Um, Katie, the then chair, asked me would I be vice chair the following year. So I did that for two years um, as she was planning her exit, I suppose, <laughs> and um, took up the mantle as chair. And these were obviously all elections, so they weren't guaranteed that I was going to get these positions. Um, but this is my second year now as chair. So it did start, as Kevin said, uh, from the board checkup and seeing this was an area we needed to focus on, that contacting people and reaching out to suitable people and succession planning became a bigger thing. And um, I can I can thank that process for where I currently am. And I think that's... And, and it is some something we have continued since. Um, and certainly, I think from when I started on the board in 2017 to where we are now, the board has gotten stronger year on year. The new people who have joined or who we've approached or who we've thought have been suitable, they haven't always been elected or haven't always been available. But the strength of the board is people who now who are very engaged, who have an interest in the governance side of things. And it's not just I've been a volunteer and this is the next step. And there isn't there's always going to be an element of popularity. You have to be elected. People have to like you. Um, but it's not to the same extent. And we do thankfully have a very strong board now, which has been fantastic for the trying times that were COVID-19. And as Kevin has said, that actually brought us even closer together and made us stronger um, through those trying times. But we could have come out much worse, I think, had the process of strengthening the board not started back in 2016. I think it certainly would have put us in trouble in 2020 um, as, as COVID um, unfolded, um, but it was certainly the, the, that rock, I suppose, that kept the organization stable in 2020 was a very strong and very supportive board in terms of um, looking at it from my perspective as, as CEO. Um, which sometimes can be a very isolated and, and somewhat lonely role without, um, um, and a very difficult role if you don't have a, a strong board. And, um, and it's also kind of a happy balance between um, you need a strong board, but you also <clears throat> don't need a board that's micromanaging. And, um, and I think it's getting that perspective um, right. Um, that's um, is a challenge, I think, for any board, but. Um, um, I think with a combination of the, the kind of reflection that we've been able to do as a result of boardcheckup.com with that regulatory kind of framework that's been emerging in Ireland, I think it's been a, it's just been a happy, um, 
um, coming together of different um, different movements, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm looking at your um, the work that you've done, and, and and I'm talking about the intentional changes that you've made since 2016. And you made some changes, some in 2016, 17, um, more in 2019, and then a whole host in 2020. And, um, you know, maybe just talk a little bit about the process of change. And, you know, is it, is it, possible to leapfrog or is this something that occurs in stages when you're trying to you know engage a board and help it reach higher levels particularly I guess from your point of view because you're now it seems like have more leadership available to you to do the things that you need to do to advance the mission of of EIL Ireland so maybe just talk a little bit about how that happens and kind of what expectations were there around change? I think it was definitely an in stages thing and we certainly tried things that didn't stick or didn't work, um, but it was a great starting point with the results of the checkup to have that conversation of, okay, we're not doing well in this area. What's the issue? What's the problem? Um, small things like our agenda that some people felt maybe the important things weren't getting enough time that they should. Um, so something we brought in and we've stuck with since the start of a meeting, is everyone happy with the agenda? Does anyone want to move anything up higher? Is there something you think we should be giving more attention to or are we good with how it is? We tried other things like, oh, let's try around the table and everyone can speak for two minutes on a topic or three minutes and that lasted for about one meeting and didn't work at all. Um, because some people will be very informed on a topic and have a lot to say and others might, you know, this isn't my area at all. I don't want to speak on it. Don't, don't come to me. Um, I think the, the people part of it made a big difference too. like areas that we, I think, didn't score as well in some years would relate to engagement of board members, people being prepared for meetings. Um, and as the team has strengthened, people tend to attend more often and not miss meetings or cancel last minute. We've also kind of then looked at other ways that we could work to take work out of the meeting itself because it is start hard to stay engaged for an amount of time. And again, this has all developed over time that it started with, we now put our agenda um, and operations report in a Google document in advance. It goes out a week in advance. And if you have questions, ask them in advance. And that gives Kevin as well the opportunity to speak to the relevant staff member and find out the answer. Um, so in the meeting itself, it's we assume everyone's read the discussion that happened on the document. Any other points of clarification or anything? Because we were at times getting almost a bit bogged down in the nitty gritty operational side. And that's not our job. And then as a step on from that, this year, someone suggested, why don't we stop sending out the Google documents and just set up a shared drive and everything will go on the drive. And we all know where everything from all of the past meetings can be found instead of having to search through emails. And again, that's made everyone's life much easier. But it took us maybe two years from starting the, the Google Docs to getting to the drive point. And it was almost someone said, maybe you decided not to do this before a, a newer board member. It was no, no, we never even thought of it. That's a fantastic suggestion. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, 
and kind of one or two other things around meetings and engagement again is we used to have if you couldn't come in person you could dial in and join the meeting by zoom um but unfortunately that then led to the morning of the meeting or the evening before suddenly three people would message and say i can't make it i'll dial in um, and you don't have the same quality of conversation or discussion when half of the meeting is dialed in and half is in person. So we made the decision at that point, you have to come in person, but that we made half the meetings, virtual meetings that will be held midweek and half of them will be in-person meetings. And if you couldn't make the in-person meeting, you couldn't dial in. And again, that made engagement at meetings much better, decision-making processes and discussions um, more inclusive because you'd find that someone who was dialing in wasn't getting a chance to be really a part of the conversation and they would then feel they weren't included as much when it came to something like the board checkup. Um, so they, it's definitely all been gradual. I don't think at any point we've suddenly solved something overnight or gotten to the perfect place. And I'm sure as things move on, we'll find further improvements, but it's very much been building each year. Um, and I think the, the people part has made the biggest difference um, when you have engaged people, it makes it easier to change things and make things work better. And I think that also has allowed us to work more with um, board subcommittees. We have two um, key um, subcommittees, um, one on, on governance and risk and one on um, uh, um, on HR and it's audit and risk and governance. And risk and go I should know that, shouldn't I? It's a bad sign. But it, it's, it meant that everybody on the board is a member of one of the committees so uh, and they um, have a standing spot at each board meeting where they have to kind of give updates so that's meant that a lot of very substantive um, work has happened in terms of updating um, our constitution um, new risk register new staff um, handbook so there's um, really um, substantive um, kind of work happening um, and but the board still has the opportunity um, to be very much aware of and following what's happening in terms of an operational point of view um, if, from an oversight point of view, as opposed to being involved in, um, in a micromanaging basis. And so even in terms of those subcommittees, it actually took us a good, I think it might've been our third year of having them that they started actually getting some work done. Um, it took us a few attempts. I think initially we set up four and everyone was on two and it became impossible for meetings to be held because they couldn't happen at the same time. Um, and by the time the committee would be established, it would be the next year and it would be new members on it. Um, so it took it, it took us a while to bed that down, but it's working really, really well now. And I think also in terms of the board induction, um, we usually have an, an intake of some new people. Um, it depends on the year in terms of what number it can be, but we tried to um, have 50% um, of the board um, have the opportunity to stand for re-election um, every, every year. So, and then they get elected for a two-year term. Um, but we have a board induction, we have a board handbook. Um, at that first meeting, we do a series of um, case studies and role plays in terms of issues that potentially could arise. They're based on real issues that have arisen in the in the previous years. And that's that can be really interesting in terms of um, focusing people in on what their responsibility is. And I'm particularly looking at that kind of big picture kind of responsible for strategy oversight and um, and that it's um, it, it's not something that everybody 
um, imagines their role as a board member. So it is important that they get that introduction. Um, and a lot of the lessons are taken um, from what we've, we've got through boardcheckup.com, even a whole discussion around fundraising. Um, it's not normal for a board in Ireland to do, be involved in fundraising in the way it is in the US. So um, that question in boardcheckup.com, every time that comes up, that whole section really trolls people. And now we, we had to do a briefing the last time we did it. You, you basically have to ignore that question because it's not in our in our remit. So. Yeah, I noticed that as well in your data, you became sounded like you got clear on what the board's role is in fundraising and everybody was clear about that by the fourth time you took the checkup. Because yes. your scores <laughs> went down because you're not involved in fundraising. Mm -hmm. And some people then would read the question and think it was something that we were falling short on that we should have been doing. And even more so, we do have charitable revenue status now and we can, we're in the process of moving towards donations and everything, but it wasn't even something that was open to us to do previously. Um, so it, as Kevin said, it's now something to really draw everyone's attention to and that people now are really clear on it, um, which is a, has been a benefit of the checkup itself. But it's also prompted that question, should we be doing something in fundraising? And, um, and yeah, that question yeah. isn't fully answered yet. It's something that we, we, we do want to do. But I think it's different in nature to um, I, my understanding, at least in, in some nonprofits in the US, um, you're, you bring some fundraising capacity with you as you join the board, whereas it's... Um, it's, it doesn't operate like that necessarily in Ireland. You know, different countries um, draw their revenue from different sources. And so, you know, it sounds like in Ireland, you're, you're a membership organization. So maybe talk a little bit about where does your revenue come from? Yeah, in terms of the revenue, um, we're very much operating on the basis of a social enterprise. Um, that effectively means that we have programs that we generate revenues from and we have programs then that we fund. Um, so um, our organization is 95% self-funding um, um, through the fees that people pay to take part in our programs. Then um, the surpluses that we generate go into um, a scholarship, series of scholarship programs that we call EIL Explore. And... Um, as well as that, we have funding from two different government sources um, in Ireland um, from Irish Aid, which um, is involved in um, helping us um, fund a um, global citizenship program that we run. And also because we work a lot with young people from the Department of Children and Youth Affairs in Ireland. Um, so in terms of um, membership, maybe I'll let um, Neve talk a little bit more um, about that, but the, the um, membership per se is not a source of funding or um, fundraising for us. Yeah. No, and membership is actually something that we're currently discussing. Um, we're drafting a new constitution at the moment and to define what it is to be a member. Um, we don't charge fees as things stand and therefore it's fairly vague how you qualify to be a member. Is it being someone, someone who's gone in our programs, but we want to open it up more so anyone who shares our values and our mission 
can get involved with the organization. Um, and it's, it's a big piece of work as to, you know, trying to draw that line and cut out people who potentially could have conflicts of interest, because as we said, it is our members who elect our board. Um, so there's ongoing, ongoing legal and board discussions on how exactly we will define a member going forward. Um, but most of our members would tend to be people who have gone on our programs or volunteers who help prepare people for the programs or run them, who run workshops. Um, we're now also part of AFS. We're a member organization and a number of our members are actually AFS alum who have moved to Ireland and joined us as we have even prior to becoming part of AFS ourselves, um, a similar mission and goals and activities. Um, and we're open to all of these people being a part of our organization. If, if you're on board with our mission and what we do and share that view of the world, we're more than happy for you to get involved with us. Wonderful. Well, let, I'm gonna shift gears here now and just talk about the, how the practice of assessing performance, because as you know, this is a self-assessment. We don't get involved, we just make the tool available so I'm wondering if you can share um, uh, a little bit about who coordinated it, what that looked like, the process that you put in place um, to assess performance and, and describe that for us um, because every board is different and it would be interesting to hear uh, how, how, how this was done um, on your board, who you involved, who was involved, was it just board was it management and staff and kind of the timing around it so i'll just turn that back to you about describing this this process of self-assessing for performance um, i suppose going back to the first time we we did it and i mentioned earlier about we felt it was a safe space and we were doing it as an experiment to see where it might lead us to. Um, and in that sense, um, we, um, we embarked on the process. We got the report back. We didn't quite know what the report would look like until we got it. But then when we, we got it, we saw it was, um, it was, it was quite accessible and, and reading it and quite, quite clear. Um, so it evolved as a discussion at a board meeting, um, just among the board members themselves at, at a regular um, board meeting. And um, I guess there was a very honest um, process that just went through the, um, the top 10 um, positives and the top 10 challenges and literally took each of them one by one and had a discussion on them. And, and it was a good discussion and um, I think it was an honest um, um, discussion and it gave people confidence to be able to do that themselves without necessarily bringing in an external person um, to do it. The possibility of doing that was, um, was discussed, um, but it was very much let's, let's try it and see where it gets. And um, I think that process has continued and it was pretty much the same, I think, in, in in the most recent one we, we did. Um, I think a lot depends on, on, on the people and I think people took it very seriously and, and there was no degree of, of defensiveness, I think, which would have been um, an easy um, one, particularly for the 
the then chair and indeed for Neve um, to to fall into because I think probably it's the chair of the board and indeed the CEO or the the manager are the um, the roles that are probably most identifiable. Um, there is a sense if you're talking about the board as a collective in terms of participation that it's not singling out any one individual. Um, but it was that was going yeah. to be something I was going to say as well. You know, in an advice sense, is to not take it personally that it can be difficult, but that you have to take a step back and look at it as this is to make the board better. And if there are areas I can improve on as chair and how the meetings are run to try and view it that way, which is sometimes difficult, but um, <laughs> luckily we've had positive enough um, responses. So I'll go back to Kevin. <laughs> yeah, I think we also looked um, about two years ago, what else was out there? Looked at different and, and one or two of the board members went off and done some research. And we really weren't able to find anything else that, um, um, was very much, um, I suppose, self-assessed in the sense that there were other kind of experts that could come in or, or external people that could come in and, and look at you. And we, when we looked at that, we weren't quite clear on what extra that could bring. Mm. Um, and, you know, the, the, that the ownership could be in, in some sense lost. Um, and we talked about doing a hybrid of maybe doing board checkup and then having somebody external in as well. And we, um, we had talked to somebody who um, wasn't familiar with um, board checkup and, and it, um, we felt that as long as we were on a journey of progressing and getting stronger at what we were doing, um, it wasn't broken. So why fix it? Right. So let, just let me ask you then, how did, did it change your leadership knowing that um, uh, the people involved uh, were assessing it? And, you know, did it change your leadership or not? And I know, Nev, you said you viewed it as a way of development, your own development in the role. Um, so maybe, maybe from Kevin, from your perspective, how did it change your leadership? And if it did, how did it change? Um, when you say leadership, you mean in terms of my role? Yeah, yeah, personal role. Role. yeah. yeah abs absolutely. I, I think um, if we go back before this process um, and go back maybe 10 years or whenever, um, I, I, my role would have been a, the very, very dominant one in the organization and, um, and the role of the board would have been less defined. There was more a, it was, it was more a kind of um, process. You go to the board if you needed a decision or if you needed something stamped or to get something done, um, which is, is the, the position, I guess, that a lot of organizations find themselves in, but it's, it's a particularly difficult one when you come, I guess, to something like succession planning or to kind of change of leadership or whatever. Um, whereas now I would feel that um, um, my role, at least my perspective is that my role would be less 
dominant, but it would be more, um, um, it would be a more appropriate role within the organization. And it would be one where, um, you know, succession planning is something that would be ultimately kind of easier to do in terms of having a board that are, um, are very much um, um, clear on their responsibility that it led to um, a very clear kind of re uh, drawing up of my work plan and kind of drawing up of the being very clear about what were the issues that were reserved for the board in terms of their decision making. So that kind of clarity and and I suppose 10 years ago that, you know, other than the constitution of the organization, there was very little else in writing, whereas that's very much there now. And it's clarity and it's in the handbook and anyone new coming on board can see that. Um, so it is, there's far less grounds for, for confusion. Um, and oddly enough, I feel far more empowered as a result of that. And, and I feel, you know, um, come out of board meetings now, I feel I come out with a sense of positivity. Um, whereas if I go back 10 years or, or further, um, when there was that kind of, when I felt my role was more dominant, I remember coming out of board meetings much more frustrated. Um, and, um, you know, it's, clarity does lead to, um, uh, um, to a lot more um, ease in terms of everybody knowing what their role is and everybody doing it and everybody doing it to the best of ability. And, and it works, we complement each other and work really good as a team, yeah. And I think it's really important too, even from a board member's perspective, that that is the balance because we do have a lot of legal duties on us as board members to be responsible for what happens. Um, and whether you're paying attention or giving instruction or not, once you take on that role, you're responsible for what happens. So it's good for all of us that um, that balance is there and that there's a strong board and a strong CEO and we're all doing as we should, um, rather than, thankfully, we all completely trust Kevin and he is very capable and, you know, he, he mentioned succession planning. We'd rather not have to do it. We'd keep Kevin all day long if we could. Um, but if you did have a CEO who was in that position who wasn't necessarily doing as they should and a board is simply rubber stamping it, it's still on your head if you rubber stamped it. You you signed off on this happening. Um, so it, it's I think it's put everyone on board and the CEO in a better position for that, that balance to be there. I think something that's been interesting from my perspective as well is that um, on my non-EIL work life, I've been chair of a board in, in a national organization some years back. And um, it's interesting when you see the other side and, and um, particularly um, the importance of things that you've mentioned earlier about documentation coming out for meetings on a timely basis that the, you know there's no last minute big documents arriving five minutes before a board meeting starts it's probably one of the most effective ways to disempower a board and um, to um, to prevent them from doing their their duty in terms of not giving them um, proper time to prepare and to do their homework and to be ready for the discussion that happens so um, yeah it's uh, it's it's um, it's been an interesting 
um, journey from that point of view. So it's been it's been a really interesting learning experience as well that um, um, for all of us. And I think we've learned things that we can take to our life outside of of EIL as an organization, which has been really good. Yeah, maybe talk a little bit about what you think the impact has been in terms of you know the effectiveness of your um, organization, you know, advancing the mission, um, the governance process itself. Um, talk a little bit about those impacts then. What kind of changes do you see now? I think from my perspective, and I wasn't there before we first used board checkup, um, but even in the few years I have been on the board, I think we're more efficient, we communicate better, we get more work done. Um, what, what's done between board meetings and during board meetings is a lot more than we previously would have been achieving. Um, I think when you can have that conversation of seeing we didn't get a great score on X on how we run a meeting, that being able to have that conversation and people voicing how they feel does leave you, in, it, things can improve. You take steps to make it better and that it's everyone involved in the board can give their input on that. It's not the chair going, I know how to make everything better and I'm going to unilaterally make this decision. It's a conversation and it's a great starting point um, to say, okay, we haven't done very well here. What steps can we take to improve it? And whilst, as I said earlier, not everything has worked or stuck, we have found a lot of processes that have. And then it has the knock-on effect of if you're more efficient, you are getting through more work. You are ensuring that your governance is in place and that all the policies and procedures and everything that you need to look after are being dealt with. Um, I think just efficiency is a big one. Um, and even in comparison to other organizations, as I said, we're a member of AFS and um, they had an online training this year for board members. And there was a suggestion around doing a self-assessment of board meetings and how they went. And we kind of looked at it and went, oh, we already ask all of this. We already know these answers and this is stuff that we do. Um, that I think in some ways we're ahead of the curve on this kind of stuff because we have been engaging in this self-assessment for five years now. Um, and there is always room for improvement. And as board members change, opinions change and views change, but we're just a slicker operation, I think, on how we get things done. Um, and the hiccups and issues that may have arisen before have just been smoothed out um, as Kevin said, the induction, I think every year I've been involved, something new has been added that's been a learning from whether it be board checkup or something else we've used or done during the year and we've spotted actually this will be useful to do. Um, it sets board members up better when they join day one. Um, and I think you have, we have more satisfied board members and as a result who are more engaged and who are more likely to stay involved. Um, just kind of has a knock-on impact on everything. Mm -hmm. And I think it's also um, been really powerful in terms of focusing on our mission, in terms of anything that that would um, come up that we might be doing new. I know when we go to a board meeting to introduce that idea that I'm going to be asked, well, how does this deliver our mission? And, um, and it's kind of a, a focus as well, kind of around... The, the policies that we develop around um, um, equality and inclusivity, um, 
um, looking at kind of best practice in terms of, of um, expanding the, the kind of areas that we go, the partnerships that we build, reaching out to organizations in um, as organizations that can introduce us to constituencies that we mightn't otherwise be able to um, to access. And I think that's been really important as, as we've got better at doing what we're doing and as the board has got less involved in the nitty gritty of the operational day to day, um, they have been much more able to focus and ask those questions um, to me and to the, to the management team in terms of, well, it's a good idea, but isn't that a bit um, kind of not really focusing on our mission? You know, it's, it's a great, it's a quick opportunity that you can have and maybe it looks good, but is it really what we should be doing? Um, and, um, and I think that's been a really good um, check on, on us as well. And um, uh, um, in, in that sense, it's, it's the kind of the conscience of the organization, I think, uh, that the, the role that the board plays. And, and it really works well with the, um, with the, with the staff team also. And um, we have um, a very powerful um, day-long joint board full staff team session at the beginning of every year in January, kind of finalizing the work plan for the year and how that fits into our strategy. And it's, um, it, gets, it gets real interesting because it's, um, the, the, the board gets to see the challenges that the staff team face and then the staff team begin to kind of think more, it refocuses them in terms of looking at mission and, and kind of, well, why are we doing all of this? I think there's some more changes that we do intend to make that have actually come out of um, not last year's board checkup, the previous year, but then COVID hit, which changed our plans, but kind of refocusing the idea of, of brainstorming that that's something we're probably not as strong on having brainstorming sessions because sometimes agendas are just full with business and policies and signing off on things like that. And we had specifically said after, I think, I think it was the one in 2019, that we'd look at maybe doing a weekend long meeting where you do your normal stuff on a Saturday and you could build in um, a workshop around whatever the topic might be on another day. We haven't actually had an opportunity to roll that out as none of us have met in person since uh, January, 2020. But again, like Kevin said, it's refocusing on kind of what our purpose as a board is and reminding you that it's not just the ticking the box day-to-day -day things that we do at every meeting, that there is space for us to look at things in a broader light and what other ways we might be able to achieve our mission. Yeah, that's one of the top 10 issues across boards is around innovation. Uh, taking time for brainstorming, learning about the innovations that other boards and organizations have tried. So it's interesting how you mentioned that. Let me ask you then, we're, um, sort of getting to the end of this, if you, um, what advice then would you give other boards? And, you know, recall that, you know, boards are at all different stages of effectiveness. Some have far more challenges than others. And, um, but what advice would you give them for considering um, assessment of performance, whether it's through our tool or any other, um, for the very first one. I think a few points that we've kind of discovered along the way is sometimes people don't actually remember what answer they've given. 
So the last couple of years, we've advised people to whether it's taking a screenshot of what you filled in on your laptop or whatever it might be, um, take, take a record of it. So when it comes to the discussion, you can remember what you may have said, because on occasion we've had lower scores on some points and we'll say, you know, OK, this is a challenge. What's the challenge? How can we fix it? And suddenly everyone's saying, no, I think we do great on that. When that can't possibly have been the case because it's not the score. <laughs> um, misreading questions, I think. Take your time to read what you're actually answering. Um, because I think we discovered that a few times as well, that the score mightn't have been as great. And when you read out the question, someone says, oh, I didn't interpret the question that way at all. I read it meaning something else. So that's why I said this. Um, then not taking it personally, if you are a chair or CEO or if you're heading up a subcommittee, see it as an opportunity to improve. And I guess for the people filling it in too, to view it not as an, even if you don't like your chair, this isn't about them personally, it's about how they run the meeting or how they run the board and try to see it that way. Not, I fell out with her over dinner last week, so I'm going to give her a terrible review. That doesn't benefit the board at all. Um, and I think as well, as, as we said in fundraising, we've made great improvements because there's a better understanding now of what our role is and that that's not really applicable to us. So for any board to look at it and say, actually, for us specifically, this isn't relevant or this is the way we deal with this. So maybe this question isn't relevant and just to have that, that knowledge in advance so that you don't suddenly see a terrible score and wonder why have we done so badly when actually that didn't apply to you anyway. Mm. I would say that, you know, if we go back to 2016 or whenever it was, I would say we were very skeptical about the process. Um, and um, now, all these years later, I can say that, you know, that was actually the beginning of a journey that has been a really, really positive uh, one for us. So I would say, you know, um, it's important um, if you have any desire to try and be the best you can be at the work you do you have to have an assessment of of um, where you're at and where you can improve and um, so enter it with with very much an open mind I think um, board checkup is is an ideal um, tool to to begin with and to to start um, um, the journey it's very accessible um, it's very practical um, and it does actually produce very concrete results. And I would certainly credit it for, as the, the key driver in getting us to where we're at um, and getting us to be um, able to respond very positively to the, the, the regulatory um, climate that's developing in Ireland or all that infrastructure that we now need to respond to. I think if that was there without having gone through this self-assessment, we wouldn't be able to progress in the way that, that we are. Um, and I think it's a journey that always continues. You're never, you're never going to get there. And the moment you get there and think you have achieved everything and now everything is perfect, you're going to fall flat in your face. So um, because circumstances continuously change, the set of people you have on the board will change. So that whole dynamic will change and it's a constant relearning process. So. Um, I think now what it's got in our case, it's a, a culture of um, being able to reflect on our on, on, on where we're at and an accessible think, culture of reflection. I would also say, you know, don't just do it and leave it sit. Um, do bring it to a meeting, do discuss the results and see why people have answered the way they have. 
you're not going to improve anything if you just fill it in and then leave it be. Um, and I think we found it useful as well to select a few things every year. Okay, what can we do to work on these few challenges? You're not going to fix everything between one meeting and the next. It's a gradual process of building on things, make the, the improvements that'll make your board more motivated or work better together. And as Kevin said, I think it's a process too, that it's really beneficial to do it year on year or whether it's every, every 18 months so that you can see that improvement or have you now focused too much on this area to improve it that something you were doing quite well at has dropped down um, that it's a tool to use on an ongoing basis to, to measure how you're getting on, but don't expect to resolve everything and be absolutely perfect um, when you do it the second time. Mm -hmm. But that's, I think, what, what I really like about um, Board Checkup is, is this list of top 10 and the 10 challenges that you get in the traffic light system. You can very clearly begin to focus on one or two areas and start making gradual um, improvements over um, a couple of um, years. And ultimately, at the end of the day, the board itself has to own its own performance. And this is where sometimes bringing external consultants in to try and dress things up in ways that almost delay the process of the board actually owning its own performance. So sometimes you have to see it there in black and white right in front of you, what you're good at and what you need to work on. And do you think I the think board? Do you think the board's gotten better at that owning it? And then, do you have you seen issues kind of come and go, and and how that could be motivating to the board that they actually resolve some things? Yes, and I think also in some ways, as Kevin said, you can see that he said much earlier, seeing outliers that you, know, you might sense that a board member is disgruntled but saying nothing. And then suddenly you can see one person keeps on having very negative responses on things and it kind of can confirm, right, there is a dynamic off here that we're seeing through the, the anonymous results. Um, and it gives an opportunity possibly for that person to voice what their concern is. Or I, I think quite often, if they can also see that they're an outlier, they don't necessarily stay a lot around for too much longer. Kind of, I'm not happy with this. It works for a lot of other people. I'll see if things change if I voice it, but maybe this isn't the best fit for me. Um, and on other things, I think when we have focused on a point where we see we haven't gotten as good uh, a result, things do improve. And all of the improvements generally have come from board suggestions. And as I said, some of them didn't work at all, but at least you can say my suggestion was tried. Um, and also that it was something that came internally. You're not saying, oh, this external consultant has told us to do this and it didn't work. I had a better idea and, you know, we didn't try it out. It's coming from us. It's not coming from anyone else. So if it succeeds or fails, it is on the board members. And I think it's given people more confidence over the years too to say, oh, well, actually this Google Doc um, way of working was a suggestion from somebody. I can suggest something that builds on that, which would now be our Google Drive. <laughs> Um, and when you can re relay those stories of ex board member a couple of years ago suggested this and it's working really well, that gives people the confidence then to make suggestions themselves and to build on it further. I think there is a confidence and there is a sense of, you know, we want to do the best we can at this and, and there is real openness and um, 
you know, there is a sense now that, you know, we began the process maybe in 2016 by looking at our top 10 strengths. Now we go, uh, we start looking at the top 10 challenges and we say, how can we, um, how can we make this list shorter the next time? And, um, and that's, you know, and it does, it does work and, and people, um, you know, do have ideas and they can sometimes be very, um, you know, simple ideas that really make a difference. Like um, I would say, um, we've mentioned the Google Doc and Google Drive process of kind of dealing with reports before meetings. It is one of, it's a powerfully effective way of doing it and it gets incredible engagement. Um, and it also, you know, some people um, like um, to present their ideas and questions verbally. Others are much more, um, thoughtful and like to write them. So um, it does help, um, you know, the variety of kind of styles that people have and different approaches that there are multi, multiple platforms for people to kind of have a contribution and it, it does make a difference. Wow, wow. I, I want to thank you both, Nev and Kevin for sharing your story of, of critically assessing your board performance and all the positives out of that. Um, it's really, really wonderful to get in, um, you know, as you know, we're not involved in the process, but to, to be able to review where you were and where you are today and then to talk to you about it um, is a real, is just a real treat. So thank you so very much. In addition to the lessons learned and the advice offered by the EIL board, what else can be learned from this case and our research? Well, in the case, while the voluntary governance code in Ireland and the emergence of a charity regulator were important environmental factors in the board choosing to assess performance, changes in the board were driven by its desire to improve performance. The second lesson is around assessment of performance and how it helped members of the board and the CEO become more clear about their leadership roles and responsibilities in the organization. And this helped them work collaboratively as a team to advance the mission. Lesson three, well, the leadership of the CEO and chair were instrumental in this case, and, the, and they are in our research, changes in board leadership and governance was attributed to the engagement of the board in the assessment of performance and the discussion of results and ways the board could improve itself. The fourth lesson is really about assessment of performance over time and how this led to a change in board culture where the board now embraces challenges in addition to strengths and sees change as a strength of the board. The fifth lesson is around the intentional changes the EIL board made beginning with the recruitment of a new board chair. And this resulted in less dependency on the CEO in governance and more leadership of the board. Lesson six, 
because the process of self-assessing performance using the tool was confidential, it was seen by the board as safe in giving voice to the issues raised and engaging the board in discussions about how it could improve itself. Lesson seven, in addition to safety, the process was seen as efficient and effective. It was easy to use and informative in surfacing the board's strengths and challenges, which helped the board decide what to change. And finally, the eighth lesson was around board performance assessment and adopting that practice over a number of years, which helped the board govern, particularly the issues facing the organization during COVID-19. So what about all those love story elements I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast? Well, passion, I think, was evident in this case. And the passion is really around the mission being the heart of the assessment process. Think protagonists emerged by the CEO and the chair, their desire for more engagement and leadership from the board. Timing was a um, critical element and the emergence of a voluntary governance code in the sector and a charity regulator that was instrumental in the board critically reviewing its governance practices against those standards. I think there was clearly a lot of, well, there was wonderful relationships and a, and a really successful organization. There was some suffering here in this case uh, with the CEO having to lead both the board and the organization and not really knowing where he stood in that process. And there is an enormous amount of research emerging around CEO turnover, and this seems to be a common theme. Match, the match was also critical and really stood out here as another um, element around the intentional recruitment of, of the new board chair, Niv, in this case. And I know from my research with Vic Murray on board chairs, what an impact they have. And that's the next element around growth and development of this board, the impact um, uh, of these leaders. So the assessment allowed leaders to grow in leadership and that's what had the impact um, on the board, on the CEO and how he could advance um, his work and the work of, of the organization. And finally, I think around commitment, here's a case with just such a strong mission, such strong relationships and commitment, and they only grew stronger, uh, bringing more um, strength, more empowerment at the board to uh, see this EIL organization, uh, their mission advance it even further. If you're looking to enhance board performance and use the tool highlighted in the case, go to Board Checkup at www.boardcheckup.com. Here you can try the tool out for free and consider the impact that it's had on you and your board. There are other resources informed by our research, a SUNY Open Textbook, Guidelines for Improving the Effectiveness of Boards of Directors of Nonprofit Organizations that 
my colleague Vic Murray and I wrote to accompany the board checkup, use of the board checkup tool. And finally, a series of courses available on the global platform Coursera on improving leadership and governance in nonprofit organizations, again, facilitated by my colleague Vic Murray and I and informed by our research on board governance and leadership. In closing, we hope you love your board.